and welcome to the Total Quadball podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make quadball what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. After the fancy-based fun of our first episode of our brand new series, uh, for episode 52, we turn our attentions to the latest roundtable state of the game discussion. Our topic of, of conversation uh, for this episode is based around women in quad ball and the role they play in our sport. We'll look at the triumphs, the challenges and the future in regards to this topic with a hope to sharing some valuable open discussions within our community going forward. Uh, just a quick disclaimer before we uh, recognise the gender discussions in general, not just within quad ball, but also in society in general can be quite difficult to approach. So just so that everyone's aware, this is meant to be a constructive conversation in which we look at the good the bad and sort of try and think of ways in which we can improve the sport going forward we do have some interest in doing a sort of gender non-conforming type episode in the future so if there's anyone who identifies as such we'd love to get in touch and uh, make that happen and share your side of the story at some point um i think personally i think would be a fantastic really interesting episode but for this one this episode uh joining me our podcast returnees Suzanne Fisher and Leander Troll and we have a new guest with Lisa Tietze making up the trio of our guests this evening. Hello everybody how are we doing? Hey hello hey, hey. Nice. <laughs> that was so like well synchronized <laughs> everyone kind of came off mute and just like oh it was, it was like music that lovely <laughs> yeah good to be back thanks for the honor of uh yeah inviting me i think it's it's a very important subject looking forward to this yeah definitely you know good to have sort of variety of people from different countries different experiences um different roles in the game um to, to discuss this episode and yeah, can't can't stress how long this has been in planning for. Um, and we've rescheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled. So it's finally good that we're here and uh yeah, making it happen. Exciting stuff. Um should we should we crack on? Let's go. Fantastic. Right. Um just just starting off at the start, because the start's always a good place to start. Um when we started playing well, Quidditch, as it was called, quad ball now. So how important was the mixed gender aspects of the sport to you? Um, for me, I was going to say really important, but I don't know if it necessarily was the fact that it was mixed gender or uh, me as a woman being able to play team sport. <laughs> Um, I think actually it's a secondary. Um, I was invited by a guy, so that's how I ended up in a mixed gender sport. But if Quidditch would have been an all-female sport and a girl would have invited me, I probably would would have went along as well. So I don't actually know if to start Quidditch, if the mixed gender was that that important. Yeah, I would uh, agree to that, that I would think that for me starting 
it wasn't necessarily the selling point. You know, back in the day, I used to be really into Harry Potter. So <laughs> that was like a very natural thing to um, check out. But I would say it was definitely one of the things that made me stay. It was just incredibly fun to um, be with so many different people together. And of course, uh, people could have been, um, I don't know, not so nice to me. And then I, maybe I wouldn't have stayed despite the mixed gender sport. So, um, but I think it is a really essential part of the sport uh, or has quickly become one for me. Yeah, for me, it wasn't one of the first things to realize uh, either. Um, I, I just remember meeting many new people at the first tryout that I went to. It was in Canada and it was like loads of people, I think like 70 people or so. And uh, yeah, and afterwards I was like, that was a really cool team sport and it was much less toxic than football, which I played before. <laughs> and I was like... Hmm. Uh, why was that? And then I realized, okay, there were women there, <laughs> so maybe that that uh, I don't know added to to a better atmosphere. So yeah, I realized a bit later into it. Mm. Yeah, that's no, something I definitely agree with. Um, and like for me, yeah, I don't know if there was any one particular overriding reason. But like there were so many different unique aspects. I think with the sport as it is, there's so many selling points to it. Like especially as someone who's like been at like recruitment fairs trying to get new players, there's so many different angles that you can go with. Um, and there's so many different reasons why you'd want to start playing the game. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think it's a positive aspect of the sport. Um, sort of for me growing up, I did a ton of sports, but the main one I did uh, was swimming um, and sort of when you're part of a swimming club, you have men and women, boys and girls, like training together in like the same sort of training groups. Um, and obviously, sort of biologically, so the, the, the men would be faster, but there was plenty of amazing sort of female athletes that I trained with um, who kicked my ass most weeks up and down the pool. Um, so I was kind of raised in this environment um, growing up um, so that when I kind of sort of dipped out of swimming um, and then went to university and was looking at new sports to do, it was definitely kind of a, a tick box in my mind when I was like looking for a new sport to try out. For me, it's a bit similar, actually, Fraser. Um, I always did uh, gymnastics and I did mm. acrobatic gymnastics for a very long time. and um, yeah, there you can have can have uh, mixed couples as well. Um, so I was like a non-mixed pair, so with two girls. Uh, but my team, so with like about 26 people, we also had a lot of guys. So it, yeah, it was always used actually to playing some sort of mixed sport. Um, and of course, in gymnastics, you're not really always um, yeah having games like with a team, of course, but you're performing with a team and with your club. And we had like a whole routine with all of the 25, 26 people. So yeah, I, I never noticed it until you said it now, but I've always been in some sort of a mixed gender sport actually, yeah. Yeah, true. And, uh, that definitely interesting to look at because I know for some people, yeah, as I was saying, it, it'd be certainly a, a selling point and something that would definitely attract them to playing quad ball. Um, 
and obviously now with with, with all of us, we've been in the sport for a while, um, sort of various years at this point. So kind of from our experience of it, especially in kind of contrast to other sports that we maybe played what did growing up. Um, so how good a job does quad ball do to be an inclusive sport kind of in comparison to, to others? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it does a very bad job. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think you knew that already that I thought that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if anyone else first wants to elaborate on this because, yeah, I wrote a whole letter about it. So I think you know my opinion. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into very soon. <laughs> yeah, I will listen first. I don't think I'm like the main target group for inclusion in sport. <laughs> yeah, I can I can maybe uh, have a comment. So I think um, maybe uh, to oppose Susanna a little bit, I, I do think we're doing something. It's not like we're not doing anything. It is a discussion that we're having over and over again. It's, of course, a little bit tiring that we have to have this discussion over and over again. Um, and I have a hard time personally comparing to any other um, mixed gender team sports because I've never done any other mixed gender team sports myself. So, so like what Susanna and Fraser have said, I have done sort of individual sports where men and women or boys and girls train together. But it is a little bit different because the competitive part then is gender split, of course. Um, but... Um, the one example I can always think of is I have a lot of friends who play Ultimate Frisbee and they're the teams. So as far as I know, they're the teams have seven players too. Um, so and how they do it. And I think that's such a like beautiful example of it's very hard to apply it to quad ball, but um, it's just a nice example of so each point that is played. Uh, one of the teams gets to decide how the gender split will be. So in which direction the three, four split will be. So both team of both teams, of course, um, have an interest in really developing uh, both their male and female players. Um, because if the other team decides that we're playing for female players and you don't invest in your female players, then that's really bad for you. So I think that's, um, of course, a concept that is very difficult for us to apply. But um, I think that's a really nice example of how it can be done, given the circumstances allowed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you kind of look at this question in particular, we could we could probably have a whole episode on this one question. Actually, like, there's so many different avenues that you go into. Um, but I think one thing to kind of bear in mind is like just having a bit of perspective in terms of where we are as a sport kind of compared to sports that have come previously like i mean quabbles are sports only around since 2005 and i think as such a new sport has sort of gone got about trying to do things in its own unique way in many aspects um and in many ways they're, they're selling points as i talked about before um but at the same time like there's teething issues that come with that um and yeah like we, I think we always put put ours like a real positive when we're selling the sport to people outside the sports community that it's the the only mixed gender full contact sport in the world, um, and yeah, like I think 
the gender inclusivity aspect of it in the fact that the rules require you to play in a mixed team is something that we really push in terms of trying to sell the sports people but obviously there's there's sort of the pr marketing version of that that you tell people but then there's also yeah the actual like reality of it so when suzanne talks about say sort of the native aspects of it, which, which we'll go into pretty soon um that's more kind of in practice but at the same time when you compare it to segregated sports um and yeah other sports in general i feel like we are doing a semi-decent job it's just with the nature of what we're doing it's incredibly unique and it has its own sort of long list of challenges that goes with it yeah and i definitely think that it has changed over the years right um i think when i started playing <coughs> was around 2017 i think the year before that i as long as I remember when Stitch was on pitch, the rule was max four. But I think that like in the USA, they played uh, when Snitch was on pitch, max five, right? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that ever was the case in Europe. Um, but I, yeah, so we came from that and now we're looking at maybe max three. So if we see it that way, we're definitely doing something. <laughs> um, about the topic right and definitely changing um the whole idea i think um the origin of the rule was probably to uh, make development of teams easier right yeah i think so um and uh yeah not not entirely sure how they set it on four as a number but that that must have been a factor in it right mm-hmm. <laughs> when i first joined the sport i was um yeah, I found it super interesting uh, that we had two women on pitch and it was like, that's like comparing that to football, it was a big step, right? Because that's usually played uh, between men or between women, but like it's it's not a, a co-ed sport or a mixed uh, gender sport. So I think there's a danger in stopping there and being like, yeah, so we play together. So it's already like a great step forward. And then what you just said that we uh, constantly try to uh, improve on that and get closer to equality and solving uh, the problem of having a very unbalanced uh, roster um, is, I think, objective steps. But I think it's also super important to still listen to the subjective experiences. And like you said a couple of years in your letter, um, a couple of years ago in your letter, uh to the sport kind of um the subjective experience does not match what we as yeah like like as a um not (laughs) non-minority experience in the sport like when you're when you're a male player uh, you can easily stop there and be like yeah like almost half of the people on pitch are women so we're super inclusive and yeah that's yeah, that's a big danger. And I think we kind of push um, to not fall into that trap. But sometimes I think, yeah, we haven't done enough yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's true. also um, the discrepancy between what we say that we are and what we actually are. Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably also what frustrates me the most. Um, it's like you said, Fraser, it's really a selling point 
and, and it's also how I sell it. Um, and it's also what I like about it. Like I wouldn't want to lose a mixed gender aspect. Um, but saying that, like trying to convince uh, a girl to play Quidditch uh, with the argument it's a mixed gender sport and then offering her offering her only two spots yeah. <laughs> of like the six spots or <laughs> that are that are available yeah that's then then you cannot really say that we're really mixed gender right i know that also the mixed gender uh, is also used to include all genders and that's why we use it primarily not to say oh yeah there there's an equal amount of men like and female like players so i'm aware of that but yeah as a result I think we're not as fair, well, just by phrasing it that way, in the end, we're not as fair as we say that we are. We're not as even, as equally divided between genders as we tell people. Yeah, true. And, um, but, but I think it's important that we're having these discussions now and identifying that we're not kind of perfect and there are sort of ways to go. Um, I mean, the the comparison that I sort of springs to mind for me right now um, is I'm, I'm a big rugby fan, and if you're around anybody who plays rugby, there's always this kind of holier than thou kind of I don't know persona that a lot of people put on, where they talk about rugby values and how it's a sport for everybody and there's this, this strong community feel, and there is that to an extent. There's this kind of culture of respect. But then when you actually play rugby, like when you're in those games, it isn't quite what it's not quite the picture that's painted. Um, and like it's not to say that those things don't exist and it's, it's a complete lie, but it's not quite as people tell you it is. Um, and at least in my eyes, I think that we're a lot more self-aware as a sport than say rugby is. And rugby is quite outdated in some in some aspects, but um this kind of ne- brings me on to my next question um is one kind of topic that gets bandied around with a lot of more established sports um typically in terms of the player base is the topic of toxic masculinity um and i'm sure this is something that will come into our discussion sort of the rest of the episode so kind of in our experience like sort of to what extent have we experienced toxic masculinity in quad ball like, is this something we should be aware of? Like, how how big? Like, is it a problem? Like, what what, what do we reckon? I would actually really be interested to hear what uh, Leander and Fraser would have to say <laughs> yeah. about that because I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like that is often stuff that when women are around is being subdued a little bit, but when sort of the boys are with the boys, then it comes out more. But I may be wrong. But that's a feeling I have. Um, I would say I have not experienced personally a tremendous amount of it. I would say like what I experience in my daily life, you know, like uh, we're just all normal people. So, <laughs> but I would be interested to hear what the, um, you two have experienced. In my experience, Quidditch is um, a great bubble of people that yeah, came to the sport because they, uh, like in part, definitely stayed because they experienced less of it than in general society, than in other team sports, than definitely in football. Um, it's 
um, <clears throat> for me, it's like a totally different world, actually. I learned so much about uh, representation and like diversity and everything that I learned, I basically learned in Quidditch or from talking to people that play Quidditch. Um, because everybody is so aware of uh, these topics compared to people outside the bubble. And um, yeah, it's good to hear that you haven't experienced much of this um, yourself, Lisa. But yeah, I, I would say um, the sport attracts men in general that are less toxic, that like nicer atmospheres better. And I think it's a big plus of the sport that uh, that we have these kind of selection biases, but it's yeah, it's also a learning environment in a way. So I think it makes <laughs> people less toxic to play Quidditch. So that would be an observation. Um, how do how do you feel about it, Fraser? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing to look at because I wouldn't say like yeah again we're not perfect by any means like there's there's, there's always elements of it that's going to come through in sport in, in various ways with certain people like at certain times people cross the line um and that happens people make mistakes um but yeah as as you said, kind of said i think with the way the sport is it does do a very good job of educating you on certain sort of social issues and kind of other also alternative alternative ways of living i mean for myself within kind of a few months of playing the sport that was the first time i'd ever learned about people who didn't identify as male male or female um, and that's something that as a society we've sort of sort of grown to be more aware of and yeah some something that um is now a lot more common these days but yeah, it was something that was completely brand new to me when I joined. Um, and yeah, like, as I've talked about growing up, I did a lot of swimming, but also um, I did do a lot of team sports as well. So I mentioned rugby already. I played a lot of football. Um, and those two in particular, I think football especially, like the term lad culture is quite commonly uh, associated with uh, toxic masculinity. And like, there's definitely yeah kind of comparing the two um there's a lot of things a lot of sort of behaviors within those sports that kind of that they're allowed they're accepted behaviors that i know within quad ball like because people are aware enough of kind of others and how they feel like some of those behaviors wouldn't slide some of the jokes that people say some of the expressions the mannerisms whatever it is um like, I think what one one game that myself and Jay Holmes like to play is when we're talking about other sports the way we do, and like somebody like somebody will do something or there's like a video shared online, which like oh, if that person played quad ball, they'd get cancelled like straight away. Like, <laughs> whereas like they might get like a slap on the wrist if they I don't know within football or whatever they like someone might get a little bit upset. But I feel like as a community, we're generally quite good uh, when someone does step out of line, being able to sort of rein them back in. Um, and yeah, 
sort of over time, the, I think ideally the more we play the sport, the better we get at it. I do think that one thing to mention, though, is that sometimes people get a little bit, there's a bit of um, a misunderstanding between what people might consider as toxic masculinity and what people consider as being competitive, um, which, yeah, is it's a bit of a grey area sometimes. Um, but, yeah, you kind of have to look at each individual situation and kind of realise why someone's behaved in a certain way um at the end of the day like if you are a competitive person and you want to win and you want to be the best you can be sometimes yeah you might make mistakes and not think about others in the way you should do um so yeah that's that's my little ramble on that topic <laughs> I, f I also feel like competition is a lot healthier in quidditch like it's it's not as much um, trying to put others down to to look better yourself, but it's more like an uplifting culture, I feel like. And I would say that's a less toxic culture. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And like once you kind of, because it is sort of quite a sm still quite a small sport, obviously we've grown over the years. But once you've been around for long enough, you know various people on various different teams and you go to a tournament and I was, I don't know about you guys, but I'll get to like a fine, like a final and I'm watching the game and there might be like one team that I probably want to win. But then with the other team, I'm like, oh, but they've got this person, that person and whatever. So when, whatever, what, whatever the result is, like there's someone that I can be happy for. Whereas I think within sort of say, yeah, looking at football or rugby again, it's a lot more tribal in that sense and there's people that you don't really know in the same way um so when you're playing them or you're watching them play like the, the hatred is just that bit more intense because you don't have that commonality you haven't shared the same experiences in the same way oh, i was just going to say that chances are that if you played some fancy tournaments that you've been yeah with them on on a team i mean that's the thing with the small community uh, even if you're new after one year, you end up knowing loads of people and it's like you say, Fraser, then it's quite difficult to be toxic about a whole team when there's someone there that you really like. Yeah, I was just going to share one example that I thought was quite toxic, but at the same time I was very shocked. So in a way it was sort of the first time I experienced it to that degree and that was, I think, actually Last year at EQC during the final, um, there was a referee decision that was heavily booed by the UK supporter group, really, really, really heavily booed, which is something that um, I feel like we don't experience usually as often in the sports. If you look any, you know, basically any other team sports, it's insane how much, especially in football, people hack on the ref, like it's insane. So, um, and I was really upset in that moment. And luckily a lot of people in my area were also upset and we sort of like shushed down the people who were booing and told them, no, this is not okay. And then they didn't do it again, which is also really nice that we sort of just stood up and said, no, just shut this down. Um, 
but it is an example for that it of course still can happen like by no means do i want to say we're all uh, so perfect and there's no uh, toxic people that we have like yes you're you're in the moment the game is on you want to support your team or you're against the other team or whatever like things happen um but as long as we you know like can learn about it um i think it's i think i think we're doing pretty good in comparison with a lot of other people but course that doesn't mean we can't strive to become even better <laughs> yeah it's true and like what i really like about that little anecdote lisa is that like within that you kind of identified the really negative behavior and you felt comfortable enough to sort of stand up to that and go no that's that's not on and you were able to confront those people whereas say yeah you compare that to say a football match and like you're on you're in, in a stadium and there's tons of really aggressive fans I doubt you'd feel that feel comfortable enough to do that. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable enough to do that. Um, and like, I think that's a real sort of positive that we can kind of call out those behaviors as and when they happen. Yeah, totally. Um, so now we're going to kind of look at, I guess, more kind of individual experiences. Um, so we obviously already mentioned it uh, earlier in the episode. So we're going to head over to Suzanne now. Um, I think this is something that's quite an interesting uh topic to talk about so after the um was it eqc 2019 you wrote an open letter yeah. to the community entitled use your females or lose your females um so can you tell us ab about this and kind of what inspired you to write the letter and kind of what did you make of the reaction like uh, after you wrote it um yeah, so I wrote it um, after the final of EQC in Heidelbeke. Uh, I was a bit inspired on what um, a drunk Victor Marx was screaming <laughs> together <laughs> with Seb Waters at the pitch. So it was Titans playing the unicorn um, and they were shouting, play your females. Um, and yeah, why was that? Because um, yeah, there were a lot of female players sitting on the bench of Titans during that game, uh, who were not on the pitch. And um, that's actually something that I've been annoyed with for, at that point, have been quite annoyed with for a while. That, um, well, first of all, that uh, when you're a female in a team, that usually you wouldn't get as much playtime as the guy. Um, and also that not everyone is also is always that eager to learn or to sorry to teach you, um, and that that if you if, if this keeps continuing like this, then it's not, not fun anymore <laughs> to play Quidditch as a girl. And why would you then still be in Quidditch? Um, just to give you an example, so for me, I never played team sports because I never had the opportunity when I, when I was younger. There were just were no team sports for girls in where I lived. I could only do gymnastics and that's how I ended up doing gymnastics and I'm one meter 82 centimeters. No one does gymnastics with that height. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, but it was the only thing that I could do. And I ended up in Quidditch because um, someone invited me and it's the first team sport I could play. And everyone who starts at Quidditch sucks at it because you couldn't have been playing it since you were little. It's a new sport. So everyone who starts is new. But then if you 
discover that you're quite good at it, but you can get that much time on pitch, why would you then say, I have been invited to a rugby team, a touch rugby team, a lacrosse team, a handball team, <laughs> during all the time that I was there, just because, yeah, they see someone who is, they, like, female teams need more females, always need more females in Belgium. So, if you don't get any playing playing time on pitch with this mixed gender sports and you like playing team sports, yeah, then you leave. And that's what, what annoyed me, um, that we just weren't allowing the girls to play with the guys. Like when we were eight in school, the the guys could play football, but the girls couldn't join. It was just like just the, the same thing. Um, and one of the reasons I thought for that was that we also weren't teaching the women how to play Quidditch or quad ball. Um, <clears throat> that there always was a bias uh, when there was a new girl um, in a team or that you weren't getting any passes. Um, and I've, I've had an EQC, like my first EQC was in uh, Pofenhoven. And I had a, a whole game where I didn't touch the ball at all. At all, at, not at any moment. And that just really sucks. And with the the way we have, so the way we, we have divided the, the players, so the max four rule, um, and also at that time, now it's already more difficult, but it was possible to just play with three chasers and to skip the woman. And it happens so often, so many teams. And then there were some teams starting to make that change and like using that fourth player and then realizing, oh, with four, four people, we can beat a team who is only playing with three chasers. Uh, and then finally it started changing, but yeah, I had like two, two and a half years at least of Quidditch where half of the time I was just a ghost on pitch. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just not fun. Like, just like the basic thing. And that's what I, what, what I wanted to say with that letter. Like, firstly, it was saying like, it's not fun anymore. Um, and then of course, there's a whole other aspect where we can talk about um, feminism and gender. And, and everything, and I, I'm very eager to open that box as well. But I wanted to say, like from the start, like I'm not enjoying this anymore, and like a lot of other women are not enjoying this anymore either. Uh, and we should do something about this. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, this is just going to, yeah, to stop working. Thanks for writing that letter. I think it was important. <laughs> um, and I think it stirred up um, a big discussion. There was lots of talk about it on social media. And I reckon every team had discussions about it. Like, I hope I hope every team had discussions about it and the topic and how they can um, yeah, cater to the problem. Um, I think I think it helped in a way uh, set the stage for a better gender rule. Uh, to have such a big discussion and to to realize that there is a big problem um, about the sport on a big stage, kind of. Yeah, I'm not sure we're we're already there yet, but um, I hope it got a bit more fun since people tried to try to steer in a different direction and not um, to to set competitive goals above being a mixed gender sport in general. Mm -hmm and not realizing that you can have both. <laughs> yeah, also big thanks uh, from me, of course, for writing this. You, There were a lot of things you said in that letter that spoke really 
from my heart also, um, especially this frustration that, that you didn't touch upon now, but that you um, uh, talked about in the letter, also just the respect that sometimes um, myself or I see it towards other female players that there is just the the base level of respect or happiness about having that certain player in the team is just sometimes different if you're uh, male or female and I feel like we we are not um, often not being appreciated as we should be and uh, often have to earn the respect much harder than than a guy would have to do in our place and that is very frustrating in a in a sport that is mixed gender and where where we should just appreciate the the sport for that aspect and uh, we were <laughs> chatting a little bit about this earlier so i guess i could uh, just uh, bring that um point up because for me this is something that um is really deep to my heart where i'm feeling very strongly about this discussion that everyone's everyone's in a while happens in this context on Facebook where um, something like Susanna's uh, letter will be posted and then there will be people in the comments who are saying oh but men and women and non-binary people everyone is the same and we should be treated the same and literally people arguing in the comments that men or women are the same like height and uh, they are just as strong and this and that and while there are of course a lot of female players that are as good or of course better than a lot of male players on average we know that men are taller uh, or, or uh, stronger the better muscle to fat body ratios uh, on on average throw further run faster right all those types of things and i find it very difficult to have productive discussions when when we have to talk with people who who insist on that we are equal because for me it's very difficult to um then i always feel like i have to run just as fast and throw just as much because if you your base argument is we are equal and then i'm not equal to you um then i am in absolute terms the worst player because I should be just as good as you are, right? Um, but I think I deserve respect and appreciation even when I can maybe not run as fast as my male counterparts. Um, and I would wish we just were having a sport where the base thought would be, well, my teammate maybe um, will never be able to sprint as fast as I can, but I want to stand on pitch with them anyways. I don't care. Like I love having a mixed gender sport. And part of that is that these people are included as equally valuable people. Um, and, and that is really where where I where 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 I'm really sort of what that's my uh topic that I'm a little bit obsessed with, I guess. <laughs> um, um yeah. Um yes. I, I would like to to put something next to that, and I'm, I'm, I really mean next to it, um, and that is that um, part of that respect is also realizing that um, it's not that all the men are that are better than all the women. You know, um, if you would look at a, at a marathon, for example, it's not that like all the males finish first and then all the females follow after. I mean, there's like a huge overlap between 
male and females. And of course, yeah, if we're going to look at sports where you need to be strong, fast and explosive, your top three players will probably be all male. But your top 10 probably won't. Like somewhere there will be one or two women ending up there. And I think that's also, and I, I'm very sure now, 2022, that we, we've changed as a community uh, about that idea. But about like 2017, 2018, often I think we still were thinking like, yeah, all the males are better than all the females on our team. And that doesn't help. With, um, with giving females playtime, because you always see it as a handicap if you have to put the woman on the pitch. Um, and I think that's also important, that people don't see that as a handicap, having to play with, with one or with two or with three female players. Um, and yeah. I think I want to say, putting that next to it, because it's also showing respect to those players um that it's not because you're a female you're bad at the sport to put it like in extreme. yeah yeah totally mm. i think uh, there's a lot of women that are being completely underestimated and they shouldn't and we see that a lot when um people just walk into them and they take them to the ground <laughs> we i feel like that's like the prime example of uh, just people being like yeah that's a woman i can totally just walk through her of course because she is a woman mm. Um, and I, I totally agree that this is another aspect that uh, we should realize that there are very many very good women out there. But I guess to uh, also put yet another twist on, on this is, but we shouldn't hail those very, very good people and expect everyone else to be like them. So yeah. Because this happened yeah. just now after European Games. I was so speechless. Um so uh, at European Games, uh, our star player, number four, Stine, um, who is absolutely insane. She's such a good chaser and so many people saw her and commented and complimented her. But one of the things that happened after the game is that um, people came to us or, or there was basically two people and said something like, yeah, if, if my women were like that, I would also pass them the ball. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what? That's <laughs> not a no, compliment. <laughs> like, what is... This is not... Uh, I didn't even know what to say. I was just speechless. Because that's not a good thing to say. That's like, if... if I mean, if I turn around, I could say, yeah. I mean, you're not as good as Etienne, so you're not gonna get my bludger. Or like, oh. You're, you're not like Val, so you, I'm not going to pass you the ball. Like most guys are also not like the two top player in Europe or the US or whatever. Like it's a bit unfair <laughs> that that women are being held then to the standard of these extremely good examples. Like yeah. props to Stina, she's amazing. But it's also unfair to expect everyone else to hit minimum that level mm -hmm. or else they don't deserve to get a ball. Yeah, but that's actually exactly what I also mean with that overlap, right? That's, that's also, I'm not necessarily pointing to uh, all the women who are as good as some of the top level men. I'm also looking at um, in your B team, where we expect that the new guy will be better than the female who has yes. already been playing there for three years. I'm also talking about these people, definitely. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's the thing that 
we see this as well as a team. I have this bias as well. Uh, when there's a new guy coming to our team and he can run a bit and he can throw the ball, we get immediately enthusiastic. But then after five practices, you realize, ah, oh, he doesn't know to who he has to give the ball. And then the woman who couldn't throw the ball in the beginning after one year, she's doing very well. I mean, there's just there's this, this bias towards new people as well. That is, yeah, that is part mm. of that problem. Mm. Yeah, no, I think um, just just going back to the initial kind of letter thing, I think, yeah, it's an incredibly valuable thing to do. Um, and yeah, incredibly brave thing to do, like to sort of ha- be able to write that and feel confident enough to write that. Um, and yeah, raise awareness of quite an important issue. Um, and like, I was very nervous when I bought yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I met many, many drafts. Um, lots of yeah. <laughs> looking over. Um, but uh, yeah, I was gonna say in terms of like what's particularly notable about that, it wasn't like a sort of a torn wide thing. It was the fact it was this was the final. This is sort of supposedly like the the pinnacle of our sport. And kind of sort of those moments that people are going to remember for years on end. Um, and it's sort of it's representation, isn't it? Um, and you, you want to be able to see the best players playing in the supposed sort of best game of the tournament, sort of the best game of that year, supposedly within within Europe. Um, and yeah, within that, you want to see the best players of, well, a variety of gender, genders. Um, and yeah, obviously we didn't quite get that sort of within that sort of showcase. Um, and yeah, that's quite important. Um, sort of be able to see someone like you sort of performing on the highest level and yeah, kind of being that shining beacon of that, that sort of example to others is really important. And I think going back to Lisa's point there, um, just sort of about sort of not necessarily equality, but I think equity is kind of more what we should be kind of looking at um, sort of within the sport. Sort of it's it's not sort of saying, yeah, we're, we're all equal. We can all do the same things. But looking at kind of what our strengths are, what judging ourselves and what we can do well rather than what we can't do, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and if you look at kind of the best teams throughout the sport, the very, very top, top teams they will value the fact that this player might not be very quick but they can I know they're a really good hoop defender for example or this player they might not make like a ton of bludger catches but they're really good at I don't know recycling recycling the bludger back to their partner and going to collect the loose ball like they're really good at that pitch awareness and knowing where they should be positioned all, all these kinds of things that are not necessarily flashy. It's not like the crazy dunks or whatever, or yeah, like an amazing bludger catch or like a seeker catching a snitch. But there's so many things that are valuable that just because it doesn't look amazing, people don't value in the same way. So with example, Stina last summer and kind of the way she sort of burst out into the scene at European Games, it was because she was doing all these kind of things that are sort of amazing and kind of noteworthy. Whereas there are plenty of other players, I imagine, on the Norway team who are also doing equally valuable things. It's just they're not noticed and appreciated in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think um, if we're only going to 
used like the, the very good females or the, the flashy females um, as a way to prove or point that women need pitch time as well, we're definitely going to fail at this whole thing. Um, the most reactions I got after the letter was from uh, girls I completely didn't know from uh, secondary teams, uh, secondary teams like, yeah, if you have the club, the second team, who then decided um, I'm going to quit this team, I'm going to join another team because I want to have uh, more playtime. Um, or people who came from an A team who specifically quit the A team because they wanted to just play. Uh, and then they went to the B team. Um, and yeah, I think I had, after the letter, I got like a lot of reaction of these, reaction of these girls who said like, yeah, I just want to play Quidditch. And that's why I'm changing the team because I want to just, like I said, play with the boys and the girls. Um, and I also had some discussions with then uh, males from highly competitive teams. And they always had the argument of uh, the fact that it's a competition and you should do anything you can to win. Um, and they also told me, yeah, if I would have you on my team, yeah, then I would also give you the ball, Baba. Okay, but that's not what it was about. I didn't write this letter just for myself. Mm. Um, and so their reasoning was, yeah, if it's allowed in the rules, I will do whatever I can to make my team win. So if it's allowed in the rules to um, play with uh, only um, non-binary AMAP players in a rotation where usually there would also be women, then I will do that. I will do anything to win the game, even if it makes uh, women or um, other gender players um, have less pitch time. And I think that's the whole problem because in their view, so first of all, it's allowed in the rules and second, secondary, in their view, all the male players are better than all the female players or all the male bodied players are better than all the female players. And then it's not, it's not about playing with two genders or sorry, multiple genders anymore. And yeah, then we're just not, playing together at all. And then as someone who is then not a male, you would better than pick another sport so you can at least play your sport. Yeah, I totally agree that it is really this attitude over sort of you have to be excited about the mixed gender aspect, else you should just go and play any of the thousands of other sports that are segregated, really. like if. If you, I think personally, um, that uh, the sports need the appreciation for we're playing together uh, as a mixed gender sports. Mm -hmm. Else, it's it's very very difficult. I mean, I get the competitive argument, right? Um, but also, on the other hand, having played for you know NTNI, which at least AQC, for example, we played uh, uh, three max. And then uh, at European Games, we tried to convince Norway, to, <laughs> uh, managed to convince uh, Australia to play the um, to play the third place playoff uh, with three max, and that was a decision on purpose. You know, the thing is, nobody cares about that. NTNUI got like what tenth place at EQC playing three max. Nobody saw those matches. Nobody cares, but. 
if you are at the level that people are actually watching you, right? Um, like first place playoff or third place playoff, people are actually watching those matches. And I feel like the reception mm. the Australia-Norway match has gotten was really, really good. We played for our yeah, full rotations. Yeah, it's isn't it? <laughs> and and that. that's the thing. Like we played through our full rotations. We played three max. And that's kind of what you need to use the spotlight for. If If you really believe in the idea that we need to improve the mixed gender aspect because you think that's an important part of the game, then you shouldn't go the other direction and have less females on pitch, right? If you mm. truly believe in that aspect of the sport, you, in, if you feel like you can, you should be promoting it. Yeah. Because right now we are not in the place where, where it's fairly distributed. Yeah, I agree that's, that that would be the ideal attitude, but I don't think we can expect it from everyone. So I think we have to change the rules to make it worthwhile um, catering to a better gender distribution. And I think, I really hope that we will play World Cup next three, um, even though like all the teams would be allowed to play Max four, but like we don't have to, we can all agree on playing Max three. Um, and it would be a more interesting game for more people, I think. Mm -hmm. um, especially it would be better representation. Um, and I think that's that's really important. There are two points I want to make um, that make it worthwhile um, changing your view as a coach on females or non-males in the sport that you don't have to be a feminist for. I guess it helps um, <laughs> everyone and, and the whole world, but like you don't have to be a feminist to be um, uh, to want to win and to want to be competitive and. If you apply the bias that you talked about, um, you won't be as good as a team. Because like, even with the gender rule that we have now, basically ignoring one or two players on pitch makes you a worse team. And that means if you uh, give women or non-males less learning experiences because you think, oh, they won't be as good as the males, They, they don't have the uh, situations to learn from. They don't have the opportunities that the males get to improve. So you kind of self-proof your own bias by not giving them learning opportunities. So they stay on the level that they arrived on. And you will be like, yeah, I was mm -hmm. right. She's not as good as the new male player that just arrived. Yeah. So, so that, that's a vicious cycle, right? So that's one point. Um, Like not looking at the women with the bias will help you become better as a team. And then the other thing, I, what I realized, I think it is more important to have better females to win than it is important to have good males to win. Because the variance on the highest level in abilities, in skill level, I think is higher in the non-male players. Mm. So. So having some of the best males, the other team will have some of the best males. There's not much of an edge to gain to have even better males. But if you, if you put effort in developing the female players, the non-male players, and that can give you a real edge because there's more variance in that segment of the sport, right? So it's, there's also a really good competitive reason 
to to develop the female players in the sport. Um, that you don't have to even strive for more equality to to respect yeah. as a a goal. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Jan. Um, and I, I specifically want to want to stress the the learning and the teaching part there, um, because it's like you said, Lisa, um, which with Tina, that everyone was like, oh, if I would have had Tina in my team, I would give her the ball as well. I would give her the ball definitely. <laughs> um, but I mean, um, you know. For example, I will never be as good as uh, a handball player coming to Quidditch. Never, never. But it's worthwhile training all the other females who are not handball players because at one point the handball player will have to sub off and you you need someone to step in, right? So you can also not just count on these few people who are incredibly good because they're coming from another sport. Um, you have to teach all your females in your team how to be good. Uh, Quidditch players and also if you really want to have people from other sports in Quidditch well give them something to stay for give them then enough pitch time I mean yeah you're not gonna attract people from other team sports if you don't give them an equal amount of playing time that they're already getting at their other sports um, let's just make yeah. the games longer <laughs> so we have more playing yes, time yes. I think that's yes. also a big point like you, what yeah. you just said, you can you can basically like somebody has to sub off at some point. That's not entirely yeah. true, right? Like for twenty minutes, a a team of six very fit people can play a game, yeah. and we've all seen that's that. True. So so we should maybe not a whole tournament. <laughs> not not a whole tournament, but the most important games that they are definitely needed for. So um, like roster depth is not as valued as it could be if we yeah. had games that last 30 minutes or 35 minutes. It's, I, I guess it's, it's a problem with tournament organization, but like it could help. Yeah, that's an interesting point of view, actually. Um, it's something that, yeah, I, I, I talk about a lot, but Jurassic Cup um, we had just after coming out of the pandemic was really good for that. As that was, I think, 25 minutes minimum game time with sort of 16, 17 players per team. And like that was that was a really good gameplay because you'd have these kind of ebbs and flows where like a team would go on a run and then they'd sub on a new line and then you kind of have this kind of it's a bit like, it's a bit like watching basketball in some ways like just kind of the how the two would kind of balance each other out because as you say like your really sort of star players just couldn't play the, the whole time. We're gonna segue now to Leander. Um, was uh, one thing that certainly I've noticed anecdotally over the years, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have done as well, is that in Germany, you guys have done a really good job of producing just an incredible depth of female players sort of down the years. Um, so just kind of from your experience of sort of obviously playing, coaching within Germany, what do you think has contributed to this? Uh, yeah, of course, it would be best, again, to ask female players. But um, I can give some perspective because I had, yeah, some leadership roles in the in the past, and I think um, the feedback that I got was really helpful. So I think at at first um, it was the observation that I already mentioned about variance in skill level in different uh, gender segments. Um, so it was so we realized early on that it is super important to have good female players. That's of course not the not the only reason to to strive for this. 
Um, and then again, uh, we we looked at what um, what we can do to improve the the skill level of people on pitch. Um, looking at males, looking at females, it doesn't matter. Um, and then you realize very quick, uh, very quickly that um, males tend to take up a lot more space, like in like in all regards. They talk more, they talk louder, they request the quaffle more often, they want to be the point chaser, they they always want to want the ball, they want to keep the ball, <laughs> and it's like it's a big gender difference. Um, as I, as I observe it. So um, we, we regarded it as a hindrance more to development um, that women are less confident, if you want to call it that. Um, and we said that's actually a bigger problem than, their, than the skills that they bring to the table. So it's not as much can they throw or not. Of course, there's also gender differences because of uh, education, um, sports, popularity in, in different uh, genders uh, in society. But that's not the biggest problem. I think the biggest problem is, do they take their learning experiences like males tend to do? Or do they have to be more like coached into doing that? And what do you have to tell the males <laughs> so they make room for this to happen? So I think that's that's a big difference um that you can make as a coach to have um yeah to make room for uh non-male experience and it's super important because otherwise you will run into that vicious cycle that we talked about already and then if you have that culture established early on like when german quidditch was really small i think we made some some decisions in that direction early on and it really helps if you have a culture like that and then you the culture grows and new people coming to the sport, they quickly realize, okay, this is how it goes here. And I, I can't just uh, keep the ball and not pass to the women. Um, you have to call it out. It's, it's, of course, it's behavior that happens all the time, but you have to call it out, talk to people, um, go into like one-on-one -on -one talks with people that tend to do that. And then you can change it. And then the more players you already have that um, really like reflect that culture to the outside, you will have an easier job of, um, yeah, integrating new players to, yeah, get along with that culture. So I think that's that's important. And then, like, there were institutional, I would call them, efforts made by the NGB. So we have. Um, just last year, we had this nationwide practice camp um, where there were no males allowed to attend. So it was kind of making room for female learning experiences in that kind of way. So ideas like that definitely helped. And then it really helps, of course, uh, to have uh, role models. So we were, I guess we were lucky to have some really great female players that, um, I don't know, new female players that came to the sport, looked up to, and that said, okay, I want to be like her. And, and I think that is like super important because uh, what Lisa said, when you have this pressure of performing as well as the best one, it can really be a hindrance. 
but it could also be a positive aspect to see someone there that has, I don't know, like a more similar biological makeup to you than other star players, like male star players have. So I think that's also an important point. So if you have a, like a core starting point um, of good female players, that really helps. Yeah, I totally agree to that last one. I don't mean to say it's bad that we have somebody like Stine. Quite the opposite. I think uh, Antonia has developed over the years quite a lot of or put out quite a lot of really good female chases. And I think one of the reasons is that Stine has been on the team for years and they see her play and they're like, well, she gets the ball from the guys. So I'm going to get the ball from the guys, you know, um, I think I, I agree that role models are are very, very helpful in showing us what we can do and what we could become, basically. So I, I very much agree to that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really like, well-considered answer overall. Like, yeah, and it's not just one thing. There's layers and sort of complexities to this. Um, they've all kind of come together and like kind of elements of sort of the coaching as you mentioned and sort of the positive discrimination aspects like like the sort of sort of what was it the sort of non-male training camp that the national team put on now that was a really interesting idea I really like the whole like taking up space like I like concept that you were talking about because like the way you kind of described it there I, I think about my own experience within especially football and you see it a lot if you like watch like if you watch like televised football and the way like um, analysts talk about the game and it's always about like a mentality thing is like how much you want it um, and like sort of a player is seen as being good if they want the ball and they want to attack defenders and they want to have a shot um, and they might fuck up but the the whole kind of the value there is the passion and kind of that consistency of it's got to be me 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 i want to contribute but at the end of the day like this is a team sport we're talking about um and like sometimes yes it is good to do that but then you you also got to have that self-awareness of no like in this particular scenario maybe i shouldn't be the one who receives it on this like cut to the hoops or oh i've got to run all the way over there <coughs> on the point defender. oh maybe my female chaser there She's a lot closer. She can go and be the point defender. I'll go and do a different role in the defence. Um, just kind of having that presence of mind is quite important. I um, I like what you said as well uh, about the coaching differences, Leon. Um, I think it's quite remarkable that that you re you guys re you guys my God that you <laughs> whatever gender um, <laughs> realized that. Um, I think uh, there have been some studies about that as well. Um, that apparently women need to be told that um, the coach believes that they're good enough and then they will perform good, whereas on average, uh, men have to be like, um, how do you say it? Uh, I kind of find a word like, show me you're good enough. Uh, you're not good enough. Show me you're good enough. No, like, like, it's, it's like more like that. Uh, yeah. Sorry, what did you say? Like, you, you, like there's kind of more of an in, like, incentive to improve it. Like to prove, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. They have, yeah, they want to be like, yeah, you have to prove himself. Whereas, like, uh, on average, apparently, a woman will uh, perform better if you tell her that you believe in her or that you believe that she will be able to do it. Um, 
then I think, I don't know how many people of you had um, female coaches in Quidditch. Uh, I actually never have. But I think that's also something that um, probably um, in, in in young sport as Quidditch coaches had to learn, right? That they had to treat their female players maybe a bit differently than their male players. And I think the confidence part, like you said, is a big part of that. I didn't have that much confidence when I started playing Quidditch at all. Um, asking the ball on pitch, yeah, I had no reason to believe that I that I could do that, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely the, the uh, women in coaching roles is definitely a point that I forgot to mention. Um, we always, like in Bonn, we always had a quota. So we said, like if you ask a group of people who wants to be the coach, you will usually get males who say, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> they, they might be in their first year, but they're still, they, they know, okay, I can run fast. Why, not, why, didn't, why wouldn't I be the coach or something? And uh, you might have women there who are really well, like they they understood the sport much better already, but they don't trust themselves to teach others. So they like that's a big difference. So we we make room for women there as well. So we say we at least have one woman on the coaching team, and then that role will be a learning experience. And we always had great female coaches. And then the confidence part, um, yeah, you can't you can't really stress it enough. I think because it's, yeah, for example, Hannah Große, she was always one of our best players, but she didn't know in the beginning. She just didn't know it, so you had to kind of <laughs> push her into um, carrying the quaffle, uh, take up the spot as a distributor, be in the center of the stage. You're really good. And then we all know where she is now. So it's like it's such a big difference. Like we could have just let her do what she did, run behind the hoops. She's still very good at that. But like there was so much potential that we would have left out if we hadn't uh, talked to her about taking up more space on pitch. So yeah, that's just a just an anecdote. But it, I think it's an example that that holds true for a lot of people. I think it's so beautiful uh, that you care and uh, that so many people uh, it seems like care and and that you made the effort to say okay people are different from each other they need different things from me as a coach uh, and I'll make the effort to to give the players uh, and demand from them in a way that helps them forward and like doesn't drag them down or something, right? Like, I, I mean, it takes effort. So yeah, I congratulate you on uh, developing her as many other people uh, to yeah. the or helping them on their way. That's really, really nice to hear. We try, we try, but it's <laughs> it's also like it's not just altruism. It's super rewarding as a coach, of course, because you get better players. Yeah, and as I said, it's like it gets you a better edge to have better females than have better males so it's like you don't have to be <laughs> a feminist to go by that mm, it's also like different coaching styles as well like the way that any one person coach can be different to another and yeah like certain coaches will get through to certain players really well and you see this throughout tons of sports um but then that same coach will not have the same, like the right approach to 
really get the best out of this player. However, this other coach knows exactly how they need to speak and maybe they've had similar experiences um, and they can really kind of draw on that to get the best out of them. So it's good to kind of have that diversity of leadership um, kind of within the coaching team. Um, can I add a hot take? <laughs> hot take, that? go on. Hot take, yeah, that male players don't really like being coached by female coaches. Yeah, potentially. I mean, well, I guess in terms of like the way the sport has been, like for the most part, there's generally been male coaches um and there's le less female coaches generally so because it's kind of not been the norm at least up until this point yeah it, i think it's it's a bit of a shock to the system and sort of people don't really know how to react in the same way i think from my own experience so i was coach in darmstadt in wow when was that back in the day 2015 <laughs> 16 or something like that I would say from a personal experience, I wouldn't agree to that, but also it was very easy to for me because I was the most experienced player on the team, or I came at least, you know, from NTNUI, who had was a more experienced team, who had done much better at EQC. So I just came with a better background. So it was very natural. And that funnily enough was the year where um, uh, the team was led completely female because I was the coach and then Nadine was the captain. So we were a <laughs> completely female-led team. Um, but it was easier because I was the kind of most exp experienced player on the team. So it's very easy to then also step into that role and be like, okay, I have all these ideas. I want this team to become better and benefit and not just, you know, stand on the side while I have my own thoughts and um, and not sort of like contribute to making my team better. So I wouldn't... From my own experience, I can't agree to that. And I have a beautiful example outside of uh, Quidditch or quad ball. Um, it, um, so in the biggest sports club here in Norway at NTNUI, which is the biggest general sports club in Norway, in handball, which is a huge sport, very popular here, uh, they do it on purpose that the female team is always coached by male and the men, men's teams are always coached by female. Yeah. And that works out well for them. So I'm not sure if that's like a general take, but I can see talking about earlier toxic masculinity that there may be some uh, people who have problems with being coached by uh, female players who tell them this was bad or you should do it like this or I think uh, this is a better strategy or something or I decide now this is the strategy the team plays. Some people maybe can't deal with that. Yeah, I think that's like a really the interesting point. Um, and like the, the, the key word I pulled out of that answer, Lisa, was experience. Because when you kind of look at the development of like quabble tactics and things and sort of deciding a direction that a team goes, like it's very tricky to kind of work out who has authority within these situations. Like we don't have... I don't know, 50, 60, 70, about 100 years of experience like playing this sport. Um, and there's not like a bank of like pre-established tactics or coaching drills or whatever. You don't have any of this pre-existing knowledge or people talking about it. Um, 
like the, the knowledge doesn't really exist in the same way so yeah it's like in terms of like how a team runs itself they're sort of in, in many cases like with with your example with Darmstadt like people might just go oh well this player's played for this amount of years that's more than us right that they, they they they're gonna know more than more than us so they're gonna be the coach or sometimes it might be you see a lot on university teams like oh this player's our best player so they're gonna be our coach um which isn't necessarily the case and then you have an interesting kind of i guess sort of dilemma within teams where the coach might think one thing but then maybe they don't express it very well or maybe their idea doesn't work and obviously this is all a matter of opinion and things um but then yeah like you have all these kind of sort of little things to think about in terms of bringing up new ideas new concepts new tactics um and I think a lot of people within the sport will sort of base on who said what, like, oh, well, this person who's been playing for years, oh, they've said that. So therefore, what they've said, like, no matter what, means more than what this person says who's been playing for a year or two or whatever, uh, not really thinking about the ideas themselves. Um, and equally, like, I, I also find that when someone is trying to learn and sort of eager to learn, there's also like an element of like, oh, you said that, oh, that that was really stupid, or like they might sort of think of it as a joke, rather than like trying to help that person like understand what like their perspective of it. If that makes sense. So I think we kind of need to work better as a community to sort of break down those barriers and yeah, get better at like thinking of ideas collectively and sort of going hey i have this idea what do you think um and yeah just being more collaborative with it yeah when you just said asking questions um i realized that's another very good point um for having a female coach because i think they are they tend to be more approachable for females um to ask questions so like that's also a confidence and experience thing um, that you you help break down the barrier of people that are newer to the sport to ask questions, um, and you, it also gives you a better connection to the female players as a whole, like as a whole coaching team. Like you should always get regular feedback, um, and I don't know, like ask um, what what is like what is your experience as a female player in the sport um but you won't get the same answers when you're a male coach or when you're a female coach so we had this uh workshop gender split workshop one day um at a training camp and we just we just separated uh, the genders basically and said okay let's talk about our gender specific experiences in the sport and we kind of had um different experiences and shared experiences and it was all super interesting and i i don't think it would have worked in the same way if we hadn't had a female coach present in the workshop so because you don't get everything like you don't get all the information from a workshop like that if you don't if you don't have a part of the coaching team in that workshop and that way 
we we kind of strengthened uh, that connection. And it helped because we, as males, we thought about how can we improve on the experience for non-males in the sport. Uh, we got some feedback from the females or non-male players. And it was just, I think it was a, another small step. You can get closer to that, uh, to having that kind of workshop experience, like not as a workshop, but on a regular basis, if you have a female coach, because you get more information and mm. more points to improve on. Yeah, that's very, very true. Good thing to bring up. Um, I'm going to segue now onto Lisa, um, as well as people who know us within this episode, uh, myself, Suzanne and Leander, normally play in the chaser game uh, with the, the volleyball, or whatever we're going to call it these days. Um, but Lisa, you are mostly in the beast game with the dodgeballs. Um, and like a lot of the, I guess, discussion around female players is usually based on the chaser game and who's not touching the volleyball, basically. So just look at the beta game sort of from your perspective, playing position. What's that been like from, yeah, looking at female players in particular? Yeah, I definitely would say there is as in the chaser game, a general difference or like a base bias to how people are being looked at. It is incredibly useful in the beater game to be explosive, to be fast. So naturally, um, that's an advantage for a lot of uh, men over a lot of uh, female or non-binary players. Um, and it's a little bit about who, you know, I guess also the confidence, who goes for the battles, who has the ball if you don't have bludger control, right? Um, or you can even see um, quite some teams who, when the snitches on pitch, put two male players as beaters up because they're like, okay, apparently our female, we don't trust that our female players uh, can deal with this situation. Um, if that's true or not, it's another discussion, of course. Um, but it is, of course, a little bit also uh, the trust and how much you train it. You know, if you don't think your female players will be worth anything in the seeker game, you may not even train them to do better, like what Leander says. And probably having a very good female beater in the seeker game can be can be very good for your team. Um, so, so that is one thing. But I think another thing is also what has been a very interesting experience for me when I started playing, I feel like I didn't think so much about, you know, I'm a female player or like if I'm partnered up with another female or male, like where are we on pitch? I, I had a lot of fun actually playing front beater. I think the most of the first year that I played, I played front beater. And then also when I came back to, to Darmstadt, I even had a male counterpart who was way more comfortable, who was like, no, I'll, I'll prefer the rings, actually. Uh, I love that you do, you know, the, the stuff in the front. But in that year, it kind of also started changing that I got pushed back to the hoops as a female beater by, um, for example, by male beaters who were like, no, you know, why can't you like take the back and clear up my mess, kind of. And I, so I personally have really had this experience where I also let myself be pushed back. That, that I have to admit that too, that I didn't sort of like just stand my ground. And, you know, I did try to argue the first time and was like, no, you know, I, I think I do a good job here and uh, <laughs> I have fun doing this. This is a lot of fun. I would like to do this too. Um, and then 
you know, years later, I find myself only being at the hoops when we uh, play front back, basically. Um, which is also nice that later on now, I think it's more common for most teams to to play side by side, uh, which kind of uh, eliminates that problem that one person is always in the front and one person is always in the back. But uh, when that was still the case, I felt like I at some point I realized that that is not the position I really want to play in. And I never really wanted to play in, but um, that I have been put into that situation because I don't even know. Like, I don't think I was a too bad of a beater to be like, oh, you're, you're, you can stand in the corner and be ashamed of your bad beating, you know. Um, but it just happened. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that, we're, that most of the teams are playing uh, uh, left and right because then it's a little bit easier to deal with it. But it's definitely a problem. Um, and I think it again goes to what what has been mentioned also earlier. Like you want to look at the strengths uh, and weaknesses. You can always work on your strengths and weaknesses. Of course, you can always work on. You know, if if you can't catch a bludger, then you can work on that, right? Or if you feel like you have a weak throw, you can work on that. There's definitely things um, you can work on, but there's also things that you maybe something feels more natural to you. And as I said, that I even had a male beater partner who specifically said, I love that you want to take front because I love having the hoops and just shooting everyone just before they can make the goal, right? Um, so I think talking about that with the coaches and, and with your potential beater partners also really helps to define not only what you can do, but also maybe what you want to do and where you would like to de develop and what can maybe be done you know, to, to develop that. And I, I do believe it's so, so, so important. Again, working on the confidence of people um, to to make them go and take the duels. You know, if you have people who are like, no, you know, who are not confident enough, but who technically have the skill, we have to encourage those people because they do it and then they see that it works out and then they become more confident and eventually they they realize themselves that they can do those things and i have seen so many players that that through encouragement became the person uh, and the player that sort of they were told they could be and i think that is really important that it, we have to strike this balance between finding and defining strengths and weaknesses but also pushing people out of their comfort zone, especially in the start and especially when we see the potential of people and see and, and basically say, no, no, you should try out all the things, right? That's also what we say to new players. We usually tell them, try the positions, right? Don't don't just be stuck in the chaser game. Come here, this is your second practice now. Now you go and beat and, uh, and we'll show you how much fun that is. And I think that is really important um, that we just let people have fun, give the new people the bludger, you know, it's not fun in the beginning to not have a bludger, you don't know what you're supposed to do, and it doesn't matter if your team loses, there's a lot of new people, it's about having fun, and we just need to encourage people to make mistakes and try out things and be comfortable with that and become more confident. I think, I think it's a, a big difference um, when it comes to the value for the team, between the beater and the chaser game of being variable. It's like you can specialize in a, in a certain chaser role and be super good at just catch and shoot at the hoops. 
and you can be a very valuable asset for the team. But if you're a beater and you're only good at one thing, or you're not variable enough to fill both roles, that value gets lower, right? So it, it is also there a huge improvement for a team to kind of develop beaters that are variable and that can fill all the beater roles um, and don't specialize too much. Yeah. Just, and yeah. and I think going back to your argument also with uh, uh, you will have an advantage putting work into female players even more in the beater game. I mean, typically we see a female and a male player, so there's only two. If you only put effort and work into one of them, uh, then then that used to work, you know, that used to work. But I, I'm fairly confident nowadays that I can say that a team that has two good beaters should basically always, or not a team, but like two good beaters should be able to outplay a very good and a very bad beater because there's only two of them and them together as a team the teamwork, the communication, the team play between the beaters is so important. It's so important. It used to work to have only one good beater, but nowadays it doesn't really work anymore. And we see that in the high stakes, in the high level games, beaters are very important in the game. So you should put that effort, <laughs> make that effort to, to, to gain the edge over the other team to get good female beaters. <laughs> So I'm all in on the Leander Toll train here on uh, gain the edge, the competitive uh, edge over your co uh, opponent team by actually uh, putting work and effort into developing your female uh, chasers and beaters and seekers for that matter, if you want to. Makes me think uh, about something, Lisa. Um, we recently had a discussion about like uh, fantasy tournament picks. If you could have, yeah, if you have like the picking order, like who did you pick first? And with the current rules, uh, probably most interesting to first pick um, a male chaser, but then your second pick always have to be a female beater, because yeah, like 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 you said, Leonie, with the chasers, right? If you have, if you're if you have good females, you will have enough good males left over in the picking group as well. A good female beaters, yeah. So that should always be either your first or your second pick, like in a fantasy tournament. Uh, yeah, made me think about that. Yeah, true. And I think we, well, we, we were talking about uh, March Mayhem in the last episode, and you look at so the uh, earlier picks. You had um, Meta Meta Sundal and Alice Walker in the first round, and not necessarily because they are the most physical people on their team but they are incredibly valuable to their teams in terms of what they provide um and it's good to see that that gets recognized how um lisa i always assumed that like the um, the inequality of of the um, or the problem that we have with the inequality of the gender division in quidditch would be like um, le yeah, less of a problem in the in the beater pair because you're always like most of the time it's like a, a male and a non-male, right? But you've really felt like you have had to um, give up the role you had. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. There is 
I mean, so many examples. I mean, it's not every male player. Absolutely not. But I have had enough, you know, let's say I had the left side and then the quaffle was coming on my side and I was stepping up. And then my male beater partner, who was technically either in the back or in the right, was zooming past me. And I was like, but this is my side of the field. And I am like, why? What? Why? You know, and, and this has happened enough times that, for example, with that specific player, I was then like, OK, whatever, since you're always taking my side and just going where the quaffle goes and not sticking to the system we're supposed to stick to, I will just play back because you're front anyways, mm -hmm. like no matter what you're being told. And and, and that's definitely something I, I had to deal with. And you can see it also on on other teams sometimes. It never has happened to me, but I can see it, you know, when when basically let's say you have only one bludger and then the the woman has the bludger and there may be a defense or an offense and the guy goes over and get, grabs the ball from her in like a so she not giving the ball to like i want you to have a ball because i feel more comfortable with you having the ball or whatever but him basically being like no no you give me the ball because i should be having the ball right here like I don't I don't know, of course, if that's a coaching decision that has been made, something that is how they want to play. It can be that it that they have a set play that they have talked about before. You know, if I have the ball and we have only one and we're going offense, I always want you to take the ball from me or whatever. But it does look bad sometimes from from the mm -hmm. outside. It's sort of kind of this like, here, give me the ball. I'm going to go and do the stuff. And you just stand there and look pretty, I guess. <laughs> Um, and I, I, so I, I think it really depends on the team, um, and, and the players again, like as always, and, and the communication between everyone. But yeah, I have had my fair share of these types of experiences, unfortunately. Mm. I think like one thing you mentioned earlier, um, that is really valuable. And like, like with, with any new beta, like from a coach perspective, I always, I always talk about like you you need to make mistakes like uh, my, my my kind of my kind of phrase that I use is like when in doubt throw like <laughs> you're, you're gonna learn a lot more by doing a, a shit like attempt of a beat than you are by just holding the ball like yes you you have power holding that ball but if you never use it then what's the and point if you and if you only learn to throw less right <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah, yeah and then like if you make enough mistakes then you'll know when though when there is a well when that was a good beat attempt when that was a good decision to make and like the difference between the beater game and say the chaser game is that in the beater game when you mess up like the the stakes are so much higher like if you miss a beat like or you choose the wrong target to beat, then that can just create like a no bludgers on your defense and the other team scores. Whereas say in yeah the chaser game, like you might be a little out of position or whatever, or you might drop a catch, but then I know your teammate picks it up and it's totally fine. Like you have made a mistake, but at the end of the day, it's not as detrimental. But if you miss that beat or you make the wrong decision, like the consequences are much bigger. Yeah, I totally agree. Everything is a learning experience. And I also have like a saying I say to people, uh, which is basically that it's in the word training. When we go to practice, to training, we are literally there to train something, to practice something. And part of that is 
doing new stuff or stuff we're not comfortable with. And part of it is making mistakes. That's what we are training. Because if we would be perfect, we wouldn't need training, right? So I, I really feel that in my heart <laughs> that, that it's in the word that, we, that we're training something and part of that is just making mistakes and that should be part of the game. And I try to uh, tell that to the new people a lot so that they go and make all the mistakes and learn even faster. <laughs> that concludes the first part of this episode. Tune in next week for part two. See you there.